And joining us now here at the Cattle Industry Convention at NCBA Trade Show, pleased to catch up with Tanner Beamer with the NCBA. Tanner, always good to chat with you, buddy. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Doing great. Hope you're doing great. I'm doing great as well. Always fun to be in New Orleans, get a little Cajun food in you, and just uh, enjoy the sights and the sounds, a little jazz music as well, and, and get to talk to cattle ranchers and folks in the industry. Absolutely. You know, you got 7,000 of our closest friends under one roof. That's always a good time. And speaking of friends, I love me a good steak, but you throw a little couple Cajun shrimp on top of it, and it makes for a great pairing, I tell you what. I think we need to go find the uh, the best steakhouse we can after this. I, I like the way you think, buddy. Let's, uh, before we keep talking about food, let's talk about the cattle markets, and I think top of mind, Cattle Contract Library is now out there. I know you guys, uh, NCBA, gave a, a presentation on that, or talked about that earlier this week, so catch us up with the latest with this, and just the stance of NCBA looking at this. Yeah, so you know, we've been really involved in this cattle contracts library discussion going back to basically its inception at the height of COVID, right? When we were watching our markets just unravel in the aftermath of temporary plant closures and slowdowns on the lines and, you know, COVID-related plant shutdowns, we really tried to identify these different ways that we could improve upon the marketplace. And one of those things was market transparency. Information is power. And this industry evolves at such a rapid pace, right? We're incentivizing things uh, at, the, at the packer level based upon signals that they're receiving from the ultimate consumer. Uh, and those, those supply and demand, those consumer demand signals need to travel all the way up the supply chain. And we need, to, we need them to travel quickly up the supply chain. One of the way that we do that is through the power of the almighty dollar. But another way that we communicate some of that information is through the market information that's included in things like livestock mandatory reporting. This contract library was something that we really wanted to see because we thought it would be so beneficial for producers to see the types of contracts that are offered by packers to producers to purchase fed cattle because a lot of the programs and the value adds that make those cattle more valuable to the packer are rooted in production practices that take place at the cow-calf sector or at the stalker level. Certainly a lot of it is in the feedlot as well, but cattle producers need to know what type of options are available to them. So we were very pleased to see USDA, um, after they got their million-dollar appropriations through the omnibus uh, that uh, Senator John Hoven from North Dakota helped to steer along. We're very grateful for that. Uh, they released that library this week in pilot form. That pilot will run until September 30th of this year. Uh, and during that time, the industry will have a lot of opportunity to provide feedback on what things are working well, what things could be improved upon. Uh, and I think that the product that they've put out uh, is, is pretty interesting. So, Well, and I know you and I have talked before, there's been a lot of division amongst folks in the industry when it comes to cattle market reform in general. But it feels like this cattle contracts library, for the most part, there's a lot of support for this. There is. I mean, there. This is one of those rare issues. I mean, there are quite a few players in the in the cattle markets business, uh, and this is one of those things that that folks can really wrap their minds around because it just makes common sense. Now, that being said, there are some things that we need to keep in mind. Right? Anytime that you are taking somebody else's market or business information and turning that into a public document, you start to have some concerns about privacy, right? And protecting that proprietary business information. So when we started engaging with USDA to come up with some of these contract libraries proposals, that's one of the things we said. We said we need to report as much information as possible out there to the country, but we also need to make sure that we're respecting the proprietary business information of the reporting entities and the producers that are parties to those agreements. That, I think, is what USDA has tried to do in this program. Uh, it's been live only since we've been at Cattle Convention, and so I haven't had the chance to really sink my teeth into it yet. 
But from what I've seen and what presentations USDA has made here at the convention, it looks to me like that is they've, they've really tried to thread that needle and they've done a pretty good job of doing so. Other thoughts as well as we talk, and I know you got your pulse on things in D.C. Fisher Grassley bill, I know that's still out there. Topic, any thoughts, the latest on that? Well, the latest on that is that it just got reintroduced in the U.S. Senate about uh, two hours and ten minutes ago. So, uh, look, that is a piece of legislation that, uh, unfortunately, we still cannot uh, support. You know, we have been opposed to that legislation, and we continue to be opposed to that legislation because it would put the government improperly in the role of choosing winners and losers in the marketplace. You know, the market is innovative. The market is constantly looking for ways to improve and to provide value. And that is not something that the federal government is known for doing well. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. And so while, you know, Senators Grassley and Senator Fisher uh, have these constituent bases that really want to see that uh, implemented because those are business models that work really well for them, the vast majority of cattle producers across the rest of the country, that's not the business model that works best for them. They recognize it as important, and there is a lot of work to try and increase the number of negotiated trades that there are that occur in the marketplace in the interest of price discovery. But mandating that packers purchase a certain number of their cattle from the negotiated market sounds great until you realize that that also inherently means that they're forcing producers to sell cattle on the negotiated market, and that might not necessarily work for their individual business models. So like I say, Winners and losers, the government should never be in charge of picking them. Well, and I think as well, thinking about the Grassley-Fisher bill, some of the other bills out there that have been talked about before, and just the, the general disconnect between groups, et cetera, et cetera, when it comes to cattle market reform, can we find a common ground? I think that's something that I've asked a few folks a few times here the last couple of years. What's it going to take to find a common ground to get everyone to agree on something. Well, look, on the Fisher-Grassley bill, right, the, the proponents of that legislation have been saying for a couple years now that this has to pass. Otherwise, we will never see the kind of market improvement that we need. And that has proven itself to be false. The cattle price environment has improved dramatically over the last several years to the point where this isn't even an, a current issue in NCBA's eyes anymore. We're more focused on improving risk management programs through the farm bill. We're more focused on continuing continuing to build upon this market transparency through things like the contract library and through livestock mandatory reporting reauthorization. And on top of all of that, we're really trying to make sure that we are arresting some of these high rising input costs, because that is, in my opinion, the biggest barrier to producer profitability. You know, two or three years ago, it was unfavorable cattle prices, but you've seen a meteoric rise in cattle prices across all categories, fats, feeders, calves. The only thing that has risen faster than cattle prices, though, is input costs. And Congress has got to start waking up and recognizing that as a threat. And I think there is a lot of common ground to be had out there. You mentioned the contract library. Livestock risk protection, pasture range and forage, some of these insurance programs, that's something I think everybody can get behind in supporting and bolstering. The contract library uh, is, is another great example of that in that, you know, I don't think there's a single cattle organization out there that opposes it. Um, you know, there, like I said, there were some that have some, some concerns with it. Um, but, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is make sure that we keep the industry uh, heading in the right direction. And this is no longer a current conversation. 
Tanner, you mentioned the farm bill uh, as we get prepared for that here in 2023, trying to get something done. We know, as always, it's a heavy lift to get a farm bill done. But as you look at things, look at things that NCBA is watching in the farm bill. I know you mentioned some of them, but any other thoughts just about the farm bill discussions that are starting? Boy, that farm bill is going to be interesting, man. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with not so much it being a farm bill as much as it is just the current dynamics in Washington. You've got razor thin majorities in both the House and the Senate. Democrats, of course, controlling the Senate, Republicans, the House. Uh, and you saw that in full display uh, during the election of the Speaker. There are some freshman members of Congress that have voted for Speaker more times than 30-year veterans of the body. <laughs> and that, I think, is indicative of just how uh, crazy it is with these razor-thin majorities. Five Republicans is all it takes to really upset the apple cart if they try and push forward a partisan farm bill. And those dynamics are no different in the Senate, uh, where they still have to get to that 60 vote threshold on major pieces of legislation. And you've got a 51-49 divide. So that's going to be really interesting because in addition to uh, all of the different programs that NCBA supports, like the foot and mouth disease vaccine bank, things like you know, those risk management programs, a lot of the voluntary incentive-based conservation measures, we also are just looking at what's the farm bill baseline funding going to look like. You know, the 2018 farm bill costs somewhere in the ballpark, you know, eight give or take $800 billion, give or take sounds like a funny way to describe that, but $800 billion <laughs> just to keep up with inflation. And we're not talking any new programs, but just inflationary adjustments. This farm bill will have to be baseline funded at a number that starts with a T, not a B. And I don't think there's a whole lot of appetite to do that among the House Republican conference. And so now we're in a position where we're looking at, okay, if we're not going to uh, increase funding across the board to the levels just to keep up with inflation, where a dollar in 2018 is not buying the same as a dollar in 2023, we now have to start looking at what programs are going to get the axe. And that's something that we're going to take very seriously and make sure that our producers' priorities are captured in that farm bill. And, man, uh, we we talk a lot about G.T. Thompson and House Republicans. I think that's because there's been a leadership change in the House, and it's just more of an interesting thing to talk about. But people need to really remember that Debbie Stabenow is still one of the, the negotiators of the farm bill, and she is not going to uh, very easily let up on any cuts to the nutrition title or baseline funding. Tanner, before we let you go, any other final thoughts you have want to share with us? You know, I, you and I have talked a lot over the last couple of years, and we have seen some nasty markets, and we've seen some improving markets, and I, we've been, I'm very bullish based on uh, some of the inventory reports we've seen, the cattle facts presentation this morning. They've got a really positive outlook. And, you know, one thing that I've been starting to tell producers again is, like, it's been pretty scary the past couple of years, and there are definitely some real-world threats out there to us today. We talk a lot about animal disease traceability at this convention with foot and mouth disease on the Run around the world. Uh, but all that to say, you know, there has never been a more exciting time to be in the cattle business. There are opportunities out the wazoo. Beef demand is exploding, both here in our domestic markets and in all of our international export markets. And so it's just really exciting. Do we have challenges? Yes. Are we always going to see eye to eye with one another? Probably not. But that should not detract from the fact that this really is an environment that is ripe for the picking for the opportunistic cattle producer. And NCBA is going to remain engaged on the forefront to make sure that that remains the case for as long as humanly possible. We'll wrap it up there. Tanner Beamer with the NCBA. Thanks for joining me here in New Orleans. Always appreciate the time. Likewise, Jesse. Let's go get us that steak.